Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links, and see where it takes us. John, what do you got for us? I have... Uh... Tiffera. I see. Yeah, do you want to take just, just a guess, just a stab in the dark about what that might be before I tell you and you become irate? My guess is a town name. Uh, okay. A small population town. Hmm. Okay, alright. The bets are in. <laughs> uh, it is a genus of moths. <laughs> of the Noctuidae family. Yep. Let's see. Yeah, we got more moths. Well done. Just, uh, us idiots with uh, <laughs> this unreliable source talking about moths. And you know... It's reliable enough for what we're doing. Exactly. Because I mean, I don't doubt that Bleptithifera is a genius of moth, I think. <laughs> like, we just want to get a general knowledge of trivial, random, strange things we wouldn't otherwise even know about. Precisely. That's all we're here for. Nothing fancy, nothing weird. Just good old-fashioned moth hunting. <laughs> Um, Gotta catch them all. Yep. That's <laughs> all the mods, all thousands of them. Yep. Anyway, uh, Eric, do you have something that could potentially save us from the abyss of Indian films, small towns with little to no population, and <laughs> mods? Potentially. Okay. I have Alan's son name. It is both a given name and a surname. Hmm. So there could be a person named Allenson Allenson. Aha. Um, we have a bunch of politicians, like an overwhelming majority of politicians have this name, both first and last name. Oh, so they so like there's a lot of Allenson Allensons out there? No, no, no. There's a lot of politicians with the first name Allenson, oh. a lot of politicians with the last name Allenson. But are there any politicians that are just Allenson Allenson uh, Allenson? No, not that I can see. At least not on the list that's given here. Mm. But there is also an American pioneer, businessman, and politician. Everybody is like a something and, and politician. politician. <laughs> so they're not, they're a very political family, yep. very politically charged. We got a Union Army officer, uh, American football player, and also a Turkish musician and actor. All right, we're going to Allenson. All right. Yeah, we got Allenson W. Beard, yep. which is a very politician name. Allenson Beers, which also a politician name, you know? Yeah. Like, more like a chummy politician, you know? Guy yep. that you could be friends with. He was also a pioneer. I don't know what kind of pioneer. Like, 
American Frontier Pioneer or well, given the era, it could yeah, have been any of the above. <laughs> Allen's and Cook. It's overwhelmingly. It seems like it is a forename, not a surname. Even though it sounds yeah. like it should just kind of be a. It should just be yeah, a surname because it should be Allen as the yeah. first name. Because you're Alan's son, right? Would be your last name. Allenson would be the the heritage. Yeah. Usually, well, it's like that used to be the case. There's a really weird like time disparity. <laughs> uh, the there's Robert Allenson and William Allenson in the 16th century. Then Allenson's the first name through the 1800s and 1900s. Finally, you get back to somebody who was born in 1950. Uh, named Major, Major Allenson, who was a Turkish <laughs> musician and actor. So, so I'm, I'm curious as to how, like, a, some Turkish guy gets the last name Allenson. Yeah, that, that, that there's a lot of intercultural uh, connections going on behind the scenes there, like, for sure. All of the other ones on this list are yep. English-American, right. Canadian, in that realm. Yep. Which, it sounds very, very American or English or... You know, or like, uh, what's the country that does that? Is it Iceland? Is it one of the Nordic countries oh, that does yeah, the, yeah, they... the something's not here and Alan's yeah, son, yeah, yeah. Igor's son, and stuff like that? Halderson, son of Haldor, <laughs> son of Haldor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man. yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe the. Turkish guy was born into a, I don't know, maybe his dad was like English and his mother was Turkish and they lived in Turkey. I don't know. I mean, something like that, yeah. But he is definitely the most curious figure on here. Yeah. Considering he's also not just like, he's not a politician either. He's also the only one that's not a politician <laughs> yeah, or all. traveler. Like... Yeah, Everybody be, else between him and the football travelers. player, yep. he is not involved in politics. Mm-hmm. So those are the two, I think those are the two most interesting ones on the list. Yeah. It's just a matter of which way do we want to go? Do we want to go back into football or... Well, let's see what Turkish music has to offer. All right. Major Allenson. Born February 13th, 1950. Mamut Mejar Allenson is a Turkish musician, guitarist, member of the popular Turkish pop music band MFO, with a new mouth over top of it, and is also an actor. Hmm. Birthday is February 13th. Did you say the birthday or just the year? Just the year. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, no, I said the birthday too. I'm uh, sorry. Okay. Well then, yes. I'll just repeat it like we've heard in other wikipedia articles so sure <laughs> and in this one because it repeats it again uh he was born to a family of musicians in ankara turkey his father was the head trumpeter in the state philharmonic orchestra and he continued katakoy anadalu lezezi which is also commonly known as kidikoy marif college for his high school education in Istanbul following his father's death. After high school, he attended the State Conservatory in Ankara and 
graduated in performing arts, in particular theater. So, the first thing I said is that guy is that a that's a college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. College. He went to college for high school. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. And so then <laughs> after that, he went to a post post secondary school where he went to college. Okay. He went to college for high school and went to college for college. <laughs> okay. Just so that we got that cleared up. Yes. He started playing the guitar during his high school years, whichever ones you interpret those to be. <laughs> In 1966, Major formed the band Kagasizlar, or The Carefree, along with Fount Gunner and Sadik Kuyas. They played the music of the Beatles, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and the Rolling Stones, and collaborated with the renowned Turkish pop singer Baris Manko. Later on, Ozkan Uger joined the band, and in 1972, the trio was renamed MFO, after the initials of the members. Oh. Uh, while Ozkan was serving his military duty, Mejar and Fuat released their first album, Turkos Turku Sigiriris. <laughs> we are Turkish, we will sing Turku. <laughs> the album song... Galerin Incidin Incidin form from In Between the Roses brought the group to a broader audience. In 1974, Gallup Borsanu and An Ayan Sikimoglu joined the band, and the quintet took the name Ipuku Bezlisi, or the Clue Quintet. However, the band dissolved short after a short time, and the group NMFO continued to play as a trio again. And it looks like after that, then uh, Mazar Allenson uh, became an actor in the, the Ankara State Theater. And he performed a number of leading roles in major plays. And MFO actually represented Turkey in the Eurovision Song Contest twice. Hmm. In 1985 with Day 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 Day, <laughs> placed 14. And in 1988, with Sufi, placed 15. Both written and performed by themselves. So, this sounds like it was after they dissolved. Yeah. Uh, like they came back together to do the song contest? I think they were still doing things throughout this. Like, they never really stopped being a band. They just kind of, hmm. like, Mazar went on to do acting while he was still in the band, somehow. Oh, so, so that band dissolved, and then they became MFO again. Right, right, right. Okay. It was just MFO 2. Gotcha. I, I was thinking the whole band dissolved, and they went on to do other things. No. Okay. Um, but looks like he did go on to become a TV commercial actor, eventually. <laughs> and uh, he has had one long but unsuccessful marriage. From the 70s until two, early 2000s. He's actually currently a judge on the Turkish version of The Voice. Cool. So, uh, from here, where do we want to go? We can go to any number of Turkish people or uh, Turkish plays, movies. I'm not sure what those are. 
could go to Nuclear Family. Yeah, that's one of the <laughs> uh, TV series he played in. Or film score, TV commercials. There's the role of Mephistopheles. That has a, an article for it. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Be a dark turn. Let's do, let's do that. All right. Okay, Mephistopheles is a demon featured in German folklore. Originally appeared in literature as the demon in Faust legend, and he has since appeared in other works as a stock character. Interestingly enough, uh, Mephisto is in the Marvel Universe, like, mm. the devil character. Right. And there's also a psychiatrist kind of villain named Faust. Yeah. So they, they're basing they're, it off of... They're pulling of a lot of stuff from, like... Directly from yeah. the Faust legends. Um, they're not afraid to pull from any old-time source material. Nah, and this is particularly old-timey, with Mephistopheles having its origins potentially going all the way back to Hebrew, uh, oh. the word Mephis, which means scatter and disperser, and uh, Toffel, which is short for plaster of lies. <laughs> uh, the name can also be a combination of three Greek words, uh, me as a negotiate as a negation, phos meaning light, and phyllis meaning loving, making it mean not light loving, <laughs> possibly parodying the Latin Lucifer or light bearer. I don't know if I buy the Greek one, but the, that Hebrew one sounds too legit like plasterer yeah. of lies. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I think I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. The name is associated with the Faust legend of a scholar based on the historical Johann Georg Faust, who wagers his soul with the devil. The name appears in the late 16th century Faust chapbooks. In the 1725 version, which Goethe read, Mephistopheles is a devil in the form of a gray friar summoned by Faust in a wood outside Wittenberg. From the chapbooks, the name entered Faustian literature. Many authors have used it, from Marlowe to Goethe. In the 1616 edition of the Tragical History of Dr. Faustus, Mephistopheles became Mephistopheles. Hmm. Mephistopheles, in later treatments of Faust material, frequently figures as a title character. In Meyer Lutz's Mephistopheles or Faust and Marguerite in 1855, in Arrigio Boito's Mephistopheles in 1868, Klaus Mann's Mephisto, and Franz Liszt's uh, Mephisto Waltzes. And although Mephisto, Mephistopheles appears at, to Faustus as a demon, a worker for Lucifer, Critics claim that he does not search for men to corrupt, but comes to serve and ultimately collect the souls of those who are already damned. And Farnham explains, Nor does Mephistopheles first appear to Faustus as a devil who walks up and down on earth to tempt and corrupt any man encountered. He appears because he senses in Faustus magical summons that Faustus is already corrupt. That indeed he is already in danger to be damned, and Mephistopheles is already trapped in his own hell by serving the devil. 
he warns Faustus of the choice he is making by selling his soul to the devil. Mephistopheles, an agent of Lucifer, appears and at first advises Faust not to forego the promise of heaven to pursue his goals. Farnham adds to this theory. Faustus enters an ever-present private hell like that of Mephistopheles. And it sounds like the name actually appears in Shakespeare, in Merry Wives of Windsor. So where to go? Where to go? Oh, we have lots of great options. We've got Demon, got Lucifer. <laughs> we got Wagers, His Soul with the Devil. As, I think the fact that that whole concept is its own link kind of lends us to needing to go there to see, like, okay, who is who is dumb enough to do this? Yeah. Like, like, why is this? Yeah, we got we got to see. All right, we let's check know. it out. Okay, deal with the devil is where it redirects us to. Well, it redirects us to deal with the devil, pact with the devil is where it come you may be redirected from as well. Uh it's a cultural motif. This idea best exemplified by the legend of Faust and the figure of Mephistopheles, but the elemental uh thing is that it is essential to many Christian folktales. According to traditional Christian belief in witchcraft, the pact is between a person and Satan or a lesser demon. The person offers his or her soul in exchange for diabolical favors. <laughs> Those favors vary by the tale, but tend to include youth, knowledge, wealth, fame, or power. I it, like that uh, that term, diabolical favors. <laughs> diabolical favors. Not normal favors, like, hey, can you take out the trash for me? Like, they, they, they don't call on Lucifer for just anything. Diabolical. It's got to be diabolical. <laughs> it was also believed that some persons made this type of pact just as a sign of recognizing the devil as their master in exchange for literally nothing. <laughs> Nevertheless, the bargain is considered a dangerous one, as the price of the fiend's service is the wagerer's soul. The tale may have a moralizing end with eternal damnation for the foolhardy venturer. Conversely, it may have a comic twist in which a wily peasant outwits the devil. Characteristically, on a technical point, the person making the pact sometimes tries to outwit the devil but loses in the end. For the, for example, man sells his soul for eternal life because he will never die to pay his end of the bargain. Immune to the death penalty, he commits murder but is sentenced to life in prison. <laughs> Great achievements might be credited to a pact with the devil, from the numerous European devil's bridges to the violin virtuosity of Niccolo Pagan <laughs> Paganini to the crossroad myth associated with Robert Johnson. The bargain with the devil constitutes motif number M210, <laughs> and man sells soul to devil is motif number M211 in Stith Thompson's motif index of folk literature. Wow, I didn't know the, that was a thing. I, <laughs> I want to find that now. Yeah, I wish that was a link. Unless stiff, that's all that Stiff Thompson does. That's true. Depends. There is, there is a link to him. But, uh... What a strange name. <laughs> Only a Stiff thinks in motifs. <laughs> I think uh, one of my favorite forms of this motif 
was in a Drew Carey show episode where, for some reason, the devil shows up and uh, Drew Carey makes some kind of deal with him based on a the outcome of a pool game. Hmm. And somehow they outwit him and the devil's like, ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That was a strange one because it's not like no. one of those like fantasy episodes. Nope. It was just like a normal episode. The devil was just like, there. It just shows up. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he shows up looking like a normal guy, and they're not really sure if he's actually the devil. Right. But he does. I don't know. He does devilly things. Yeah. Things that are diabolical. If yes. Not diabolical things. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, do we want to just go ahead and go over to this uh, Stith Thompson? See if we can't dig into his motif index. Yeah, let's do that. An American scholar of folklore. He is the Thompson of the Arne Thompson classification system, which indexes certain folk tales by their structure and assigns them AT numbers. He hmm. developed an alpha decimal motif index system, A to Z followed by a numeral, for cataloging individual motifs. So, does that mean that there, it's not just like M01, M2, M3, all the way to M2, 10, and 11, but it's also like A... There's like A100 and A211 and stuff. So that is a lot of identified and categorized motifs. Yes. Oh boy, there is a link to the motif index of folk literature. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we wanted. There we go. Finally, we will know the motifs. <laughs> Wait, where, where's, where's It's uh, towards the bottom. Above Miscellanea. Oh. And it takes us to the article Motif Folkloristics. Huh. I like that folkloristics is a term. That sounds cool. Motif is a word used by folkloristics <laughs> to oh. analyze, interpret, and describe traditional elements found in the lore of particular folk groups and compare the folklore of various regions and cultures in the world based on these motif patterns. Yeah, there is a subsection uh, for um, Thompson's Motif Index. Many of the source texts are no longer in print. Dr. Margaret Reed McDonald's Storyteller's Source Book refers readers to stories in current books that also use motifs of folk literature. For example, Disney's Cinderella contains many of the same traditional motifs that Reed McDonald points out in her preface to the Storyteller Sourcebook. I don't know exactly what that has to do with the motif index, but... Hmm. I don't know. Oh, wait. Above, above that, there's this more... Oh, here we go. Is this, uh... Oh, yeah. Okay. Thompson's Motif Index. Yes. 
many, many things. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, in this that clearly doesn't have all of them. Still yep. many, many of them. Still a lot of stuff. Um, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and peruse those at the very least just to see if there's anything in there that's uh, interesting. Just to give you an idea. Some of the uh, indexed headings... Just not to say that not saying anything specific. Just the headings include things such as gods, demigods, theft of light, theft of fire, <laughs> theft of light, <laughs> theft of light, and theft of fire are two different things, by the way. <laughs> They're not hand in hand. Uh, world calamities, the establishment of the natural order, which is separate from creation and ordering of human life, which is separate from the creation of animal life, <laughs> which is separate from the origins of trees and plants. <laughs> just, just so you know. And there's also, um, okay, so under A, there's mythological motifs. A through A99 is creator, and A21 is creator from above, specifically. So that means there are 99 different just creator motifs. Just motifs. Not creators, just motifs for creator yeah. myths. Like, other than creator of above, like, there's, I don't know, creator from below? Creator from the right side? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, not sure what, like, when you're creating something out of nothing, does above exist yet? Yeah. Because <laughs> I think just from a philosophical standpoint, that doesn't really hold up, but I mean, maybe. But under that, there's A211, male and female creators. Now, why is that so specifically separated <laughs> from, and like, it's its own subcategory out from underneath creator from above? Is there like animal creators? Like... Maybe. And maybe under that, there's even more, like, specific animal creators? I don't know. I want to get this book, man. This is confusing. But, like, creator is completely separate from gods. Yeah. And it's not, like, God. yeah, gods are, are their entirely own thing. Like, creators, I suppose, don't have to maintain a presence guess, as a god after creating is done. could be, like... Robots, or like it could be a computer, or yeah, they could be uh, they could be something that dies in the process of creating. Mm. Like the there could be a god figure in a creation myth that explodes and thus becomes the universe, mm -hmm. and out of the no moreness of the former being, thus there is a universe now, right? Type thing. Now. And also, one interesting thing to note <laughs> is uh, letter G is ogres, in parentheses, and Satan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Shrek is love, Shrek is life. And uh, That really puts a whole new spin on it, doesn't it? That's, that's really disturbing. <laughs> and deals with the devil is under M, which was, is ordaining the future. I think one of my uh, favorite things is the, the categories for animals. You have your generic B, section B, heading B, animals of all sorts, all kinds. But then you've got your mythical animals, your magical animals, 
the treasure animals, the animals with magic wisdom, you've got your animals of human traits, and then family-friendly animals are a whole other, like, subcategory under themselves, where you have helpful animals, grateful animals, <laughs> kinds of helpful animals, <laughs> the services said helpful animals may provide, marriage of a person to an animal, and finally, the fanciful traits of animals. Wow. <laughs> so, under the magic heading, D, uh, the first one is transformation. And under that, the first one is transformation of man to different man. And then beyond that, there's man to animal. Under that is werewolf. And then there's man to object, animals to person. Other forms of transformation, because he just got... Uh, he's like, I don't know, other ones too, I guess. There's object to object, means of transformation, and miscellaneous transformation incidents. Miscellaneous so- <laughs> transformation incidents. Because that's, you know, something that just happens. So I'm guessing that this guy literally read every single piece of folklore and just was like, all right, so that goes there, that goes there, the, the, this ha- that this, goes this there. This is insane. <laughs> like, or at least he got, like, the cliffs notes on every single piece of yeah. folklore and divvied it all up. But what He gets uh, very specific about That is a everything. feat. Okay, so repeated transformation is another one here. And under that is Loathly Lady. I like how somewhat comprehensive the beginning of this list is. How they, you know, they at least provide a few examples here and there. Mm -hmm. You know, throughout A and B and C and D. and Then they, you know, through K. And then after that, they're just, you know what? There. Just title. Here's the rest. The headings, the main headings is good enough. Yep. I'm tired of because I'm pretty sure that down. like yeah it must have been a point of exhaustion solely because of the fact that there's so many things like nature of life sex religion humor uh, society rewards and punishment there are things like that that I'm just chance <laughs> and fate I'm just like that's like half of the folklore I know <laughs> right there like how does that not need further categorization yeah. Maybe he just maybe maybe Stith Thompson just just got tired. I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> Look at how many subheadings he's already got. He probably realized like halfway through. It took him until that time for like his friends and family to convince him, "Hey, you're in way over your head, guy. <laughs> maybe maybe take a break. Let somebody else take it up." And I mean, he's in good company. Folklorists are a thing, so uh, they have stuff to do now. He he set up like you know a good system, I think but maybe uh, let somebody else finish that out for you. <laughs> All right, so I have bounced off Wikipedia temporarily in for... search of the index itself. Aha. And I did find a, you know, an online, like, kind of rudimentary viewing of the list. Okay. So under creator... Yes. A1 is identity of creator... And then under that, you have Sun God as creator, Grandfather as creator, Stone Woman as creator, Brahma as creator. Um, then you have multiple creators, 
and creative mother source of everything. Reason for creation. There's no A4. That's there's for some reason they've skipped a couple here. Um, and uh, one creator descendants. One of them is creator has two sons. That might be the only one. I'm <laughs> not sure. You have invisible creator. And yeah, then you have animal as creator. And then it's divided into different types of animals like beast, bird, insect, reptile. And then you have human creator. Um, female creator, brothers, old man, artisan. And then you have angel as creator. And then pictorial representations of creator. So that's all of the, like, the, I mean, there's... There's still more. There's origin of the creator. There's like goes all the like you know, ninety nine of these subheadings. But yeah, there is a lot. Let's see what is uh last one here. Oh yeah, the the last one is, we should just assume is always miscellaneous oh, other things. Course. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> towards the end here. A sixty three, devil ha- devil as Marplot at creation. Devil Ace as what? As Marplot, M A R P L O T. Like I guess. Um, What's a Marplot? Like against the like plot, like antagonizing or something like that. Let's define that as the let's antagonist. Just, let's just define that real fast, just mm-hmm. real real quick, because <laughs> I just need to know now. One who frustrates or ruins a plan or undertaking by meddling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so basically, an antagonist. So yeah, we have. Okay, but before that, it's a sixty-one coyote as Marplot of creation. <laughs> coyote. <laughs> yes. Um, that's a whole subheading, huh? Um, a sixty-three-one though. Uh, devil works during God's sleep at creation. <laughs> Devil plans to drown God at time of creation. Devil and God wrestle at time of creation. <laughs> devil and God create animals. Devil, God and the devil torment each other with their creations. Uh, yeah, this is just... Just under A, there is so much. There, Okay, under A, there is... 2,877. That's the last one under A. Jeez. 2,000? Just under one. Okay. Yeah, 2,000 just in specifically mythological motifs. Which I guess if if out of all motifs, mythological does, there is a Mm -hmm. lot to that and it goes back a long time. Indeed. I mean, the majority of the oldest stories on the planet. Right. From a time when people were very removed from one another mm-hmm. and all had their own cultures going all over the place, that there's probably a substantial, I mean, like from the time that we have written record of on. Yeah. Probably just a ton from, with like slight variances from all over the world. Actually, it looks like the. Subheading J, the wise and the foolish, has that one beat at uh, over 2799. Wow. Just motifs. Yep. 
We're not even talking about specific subject. We're not even talking about the amount of stories. We're just talking about the amount of tropes that have developed because there were yeah. more than one story which yeah. developed X amount of tropes. In this case, X equals almost 3,000. That's yeah. incredible to think about. Oh my god. It's something that you kind of know intrinsically. Yeah. You know about all the ancient texts and stories and tales, but until you look at something like this, you don't begin to realize how daunting <laughs> being something like a folklorist. I mean, you say mm -hmm. folklorist. Not knowing anything, you do think that is a relatively pleasant study of field. Like, it's like, oh, okay, folklore. You get to go back and, like, you know, <laughs> read some uh, fun old tales about, like, uh, monsters and morality, huh? Good on you, guy. Like, you chose a fun <laughs> career. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not fun. No. Because... The tropes alone are the tropes alone have definitions that encompass like the volumes worth of one encyclopedia like and that's just us listing what they are. That's not us talking about them. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh okay. That's that doesn't sound as much yeah, that doesn't sound as much fun anymore. Maybe maybe it's actually a legit practice. Oh no. <laughs> okay. So we can go to a couple. There's only like a couple links within the list itself here. Right. Like werewolf, swan, maiden, and loathly lady are the only options in there. Yes. However, swan maiden? <laughs> <laughs> like loathly lady? Sounds just like a lady who's a little mad. Or loathed. Or loathed. Maybe she is... There's, there's a lady and there's some <laughs> anger going yeah. on one way or the other there. Like, from some end. Yeah. Swan Maiden. <laughs> like, uh, that... That's intriguing. I haven't seen... I have not heard... I've heard the ugly duckling. <laughs> but the gender of that duck is not male or female. The gender of that duck is ugly. Yeah. Uh, so, the... Swan maiden swan thing? Maiden. That's not something I'm... Under animals to person. So some swan gets turned into a person. Okay. So we're talking Little Mermaid here. Oh, jeez. Right in, right, in, right into the nudes, huh? All right. <laughs> Fair warning. This article is NSFW. If you're following along at home, <laughs> ho hopefully your home isn't your work because this is not safe for it. <laughs> that is the way of the ancient art. Sure. Just like they everybody's just... naked all the time. Back when we knew how to draw, but we didn't know how to clothe. <laughs> so says the Swan Maiden is a mythical creature who shapeshifts from human form to swan form, and despite the name, males are found in a small number of legends. The key hmm. to the transformation is usually a swan skin or a garment with swan feathers attached. In folklores of this type, the male character spies the maiden typically by some body of water, usually bathing, then snatches away the feather garment or some other article of clothing, which prevents her from flying away, or swimming away, or renders her helpless in some other manner, forcing her to become his wife. Ah. Uh, yeah, that's, yep. Such that's a lovely... Great. So <laughs> you... Tale. Yep. You run down to a pond, you hang on to some geese's wing, and eventually you marry the goose. Or swan. I suppose. C cool. 
There are parallels. Great lessons. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Just (laughs) just take what you want. Yep. Force people to be your wife. That'll be that'll be a great. Yeah. Why why is this a? This can't end well. There must be like some morality (laughs) clause here, right? Yeah, Uh, I would hope. Says there are parallels around the world, notably in uh, Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, the parallels do not necessarily feature a swan per se. They may be a selkie or a mermaid. Hmm. Now, I take issue with the fact that this was under the animals to humans right. heading. And this whereas, is clearly humans to animals. Yeah. I mean, I mean animals technically, to humans. Yeah. It, you could say sh- they shapeshift back and forth. But uh, it sounds like they're mainly human, and they transform into swans. Right. Mostly because they probably don't want to get grabbed by some dude and turned in and, and made the wife. <laughs> so they're like, they're like, screw this shit. I'm going I'm to go be a swan for a second, and that way, hopefully, nobody will find out, and then they get drugged out of the pond. I'm like, dang it. See, <laughs> so my question is, like, how is it that without the ability to turn into a swan, right. suddenly they're like, well, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, I guess I have to be your wife. Like you can't just turn into a swan and be like, "Get out of here and fly away." <laughs> or you, you can't fly. just be like, "All right, I guess I won't turn into a swan. See you later." Yeah. Bye. <laughs> I'm never gonna see you again. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what the logistics of this is. There must be something. There has um, to be something. Oh, here more. we go. Here we go. Typical. Typical legend. Folklores usually adhere to the following basic plot: a young unmarried man steals. A magic robe made of swan feathers from a swan maiden so that she will not fly away and marries her. Usually she bears his children. When the children are older, they sing a song about where their father has hidden their mother's robe. Or one asks why the mother always weeps and finds the cloak for her. Or they otherwise betray the secret. The swan maiden immediately gets her robe and disappears to where she came from. Although the children may grieve her, she does not take them with her. If the husband is able to find her again, it is an arduous quest, and often the impossibility is clear enough so that he does not even try. Sounds like a terrible folk tale. Yeah, like a... Kind of like a marriage of convenience sort of thing. Like, (laughs) well, kids... We uh, we got together because I pulled your mom out of a lake, and uh, now you're here. But you're growing up enough now, and I think you're old enough. So uh, here you go, honey. Take this, take these feathers back, and uh, get on out of here, okay? Yeah. Your mom's leaving, kids. Your mom's your mom's skipping town. Don't even worry about this. Is normal. This is just normal everyday folklore. <laughs> Happens all the time. Like that's traumatizing. Yes. All around, like on every possible end. Yes, it is. I'm just wondering why this father is telling his children where he hid the robe. Like, why does he need to, like, have it and keep it a secret from his wife, but he's like, hey, kids, come here. I'll tell you a secret. (laughs) You know why your mom hasn't left me yet? I got this. I got this robe made of feathers right here. Just don't tell her, okay? And then the kids immediately is like, dad, that's weird. We're going to tell mom. We're kind of concerned that, like, you're... You're saying that she's here because of this, like, feather jacket? Like, this makes sense. That's not the way... That's not what they taught us in school. <laughs> we're just going to tell mom about this because we're kind of concerned for your mental health. And then they tell their mom about it, and then the mom gets the robot, and then she flies away, and then there's kind of like... The kids are just like, huh. <sighs> Whoa. What a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... Like, she couldn't take us with her. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> 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 I could see that being like a whimsical uh, curvier enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Like that. 
That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, terrible, though. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, man. Poor kids. Poor girl. Poor everybody. The weird thing about this is that though the animal changes, it's always like in uh, Shetlands, there's selkies. Um, in Russian fairy tales, there's a swan. In Japanese legend, there's a hagamoro. And then in Chinese myth, there's uh, seven fairy sisters. One of seven fairy sisters is taken as a wife by a cowherd. But they always have, regardless of the animal, it's always a matter of, like, you take the robe of something. You take, like, a piece of clothing of some creature, and somehow that is the thing that, like, prohibits them from being like, well, can't do anything. It's just like, <laughs> what's the problem? You're still like, a human being. <laughs> you're, still, you're still, or swan, depending. Yeah, regardless, like, it doesn't matter if you don't have an article of clothing. Like, you're just like... <laughs> You're just a being sans that article of clothing now. You can still go away. You don't have to <laughs> hang out just because, like, you want that shirt back and you liked it so much. Like, yeah. I don't... I mean, I don't really understand the point of these fairy tales from, like, a moral standpoint, I guess, is what I'm thinking here. Yeah, I feel like, like there is an opportunity to have, like, some kind of good moral lesson. Right. But and they the, just they completely just don't. don't... They go, like so far the other way the closest you get is when the little wife leaves at the end of the story and the guy's just like well she's gone now <laughs> like like that's the, the like the lesson of like i guess letting someone you love go but i guess i don't know if that's really like you know factored into the fact because the guy literally just went to a pond and just like, hey come on come on you're, you're coming with me now like that's the <laughs> I feel like a better lesson would be for the uh, swan maiden to realize mm. that she is a human being with dignity, and it doesn't matter if somebody steals your robe. Entity. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't matter if somebody <laughs> steals your robe. You are still a thing that can do things right. and be your own self, and you don't need no man Yep. Anyway, yeah, so just exactly. go just do like, your own thing. Just, just leave. Like, he, he doesn't own you because he took your road. Right. That you can just walk away. <laughs> you can literally just walk away and live a life. And or fly, because yeah. you're also maybe a swan, depending on... <laughs> or fairy. Like, I, 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 that's what I don't understand. Like, okay, well, maybe maybe some other... Uh, uh, if we look at... There's a, there's a German legend that has its own subheading here. Maybe that is something that's going to be different. Okay. Uh, the stories of Wayland the Smith describe... Wayland Smithers? Yes. <laughs> describe Wayland the Smith uh, as falling in love with Swanhilde, a swan maiden who is the daughter of a marriage between a mortal woman and a fairy king. Well, let me just do the biology really quick. M human woman, fairy king. They bump uglies and swans. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, anyway, their parents forbid him to ask uh, about the or, or the woman and fairy king forbid his wife to ask about his origins, or on asking him, uh, he vanishes. 
Swan Hildy and her sisters are, however, able to fly as swans. But wounded by a spear, Swan Hildy falls to the earth and is rescued by the master craftsman Leland and marries him, putting aside her wings and her magic ring of power. Uh, Did we... not mention that one. Nope, that's new. <laughs> Leland's enemies, the Needings, under Princess Bathildi, steal the ring, kidnap Swanhildi, and destroy Wieland's home. When Wieland searches for Swanhildi, they entrap and cripple him. However, he fashions wings for himself and escapes with Swanhildi as the house of the Needlings is destroyed. See, that one actually sounds sort of uplifting. Yeah. It's like, you know, in a hunting accident, Swanhildi gets, like, injured, kind of can't yeah. go home. And this guy, like, tastes her and he's like, here, it's okay, it's fine. Yeah. I feel like they are the closest to something resembling a decent... A decent tale, <laughs> like like a Good Samaritan type vibe almost yeah. there. And it's even just... Uh, it sounds like an interesting story. Yeah. Aside from... There are other elements at yeah, play here. It's, it's not, not just, just... I don't know. Like, not, not like stealing stealing a wife with the eventual premise of divorce. It's not right. a male order bride situation with, with this. Yeah. It's not, you know, forced nope. marriage. Which is... <laughs> I mean, it's still a thing in many countries. Yeah. But nonetheless, the prospect is terrifying because even when marriages are not... Even when marriages are very, very deliberate, sometimes <laughs> they are kind of, like, painful to watch. Yeah. So, like, you know, you gotta... Yeah. <laughs> There's gotta be something... At least that German one's sort of close to the mark. Yeah. To some mark, anyway. Uh, numerous tales in fiction have seen this kind of thing occur, namely in the ballet Swan Lake, in which a young princess, Adette, and her maidens are under the spell of an evil sorcerer, Von Rothbart, <laughs> transforming them into swans by day. By night, they regain their human forms and can only be rescued if a young man swears eternal love and faithfulness to the princess. Okay, so that's like a this Princess and the Frog type better. thing. Yeah. yeah, reverse Princess and the Frog, basically. Right. Ah. And it has, of course, an uplifting t ending from there. Uh, when Prince Siegfried swears his love for Adet, the spell can be broken, but Siegfried is tricked into declaring his love for von Rothbart's da daughter, Odile, disguised by magic as Odet, and all seems lost. But the spell is finally broken when Siegfried and Odret Odet drown themselves in a lake of tears, <laughs> uniting them in death for all eternity. Ah. Uh. What a lovely end. What a happy end. <laughs> the two main characters right commit suicide <laughs> by drowning in salt water. A lake of tears. Yep. Well, I'm glad that they can be reunited in death. Sure. <laughs> I mean, this is a... Uh, okay, so that one I actually think I might have heard of before. I guess I just I've haven't really of, seen Swan I've heard Lake. the name. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Had no idea it was that similar story. If I saw the ballet, I'm sure it would be a much happier ending. There's probably like a closing number where you get to see the main characters together yeah. in death again or something. But just like reading it, it's just like, oh god, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 mortifying. Yeah, in print, that's not. Uh, it's not a winner. Yeah, as it would turn out. <laughs> so there's actually an Astro Boy episode that uh, this appears in. And um, 
There's also uh, Swan Maze in Dungeons and Dragons. And Swan Maze. Swan Maze. And the Elven Princess Irwin in the Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien was referred to as the Swan Maiden of Alqualand. And that does not surprise me because he was very much a fan of myths and ancient literature and such. Yeah, he really did draw on the existing uh, architecture that he had there to really make his own uh, fantasy. Yes, he did. Man. What a weird, what a weird tradition, <laughs> this one. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess we won't find any positive, completely positive versions of this story. Nah, not really. They all seem to kind of be belaggered by a lot of tragedy on one end or the other. Well, yeah, so there you have it. From Allenson <laughs> name to Swan Maiden. Yeah, yes. that's, that was an episode, all right. That was one heck of a journey. Yeah. I can say that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so go ahead and uh, visit us on Facebook and give us a like and follow. And head over to iTunes and give us our third review or more. And, and please give us zero stars or more. That's... <laughs> uh, and you can always find us on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. And on the website, you can also follow along and click on the links and read the pages with us and, you know, whatnot. So it can be a whole interactive experience. That's kind of the idea, but, like, you know, yeah. do what you will. We can fill you in on the interesting parts, or you can fill us in on stuff that we missed because we'll give you the links. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and the Boswell sisters for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. This world's a stage and we're all in a show. There's no applause for the loser. So with my chest up, I go all dressed up with a broom.